A pair of NHL coaching vacancies have been filled. Shockingly, Barry Trotz wasn't one of those uh, vacancies being filled. He is still on the market. So if you're hoping your team gets Barry Trotz, congratulations, you're still in the hunt. Uh, We also take the time to preview the upcoming Memorial Cup, the first of its kind since 2019 because, you know, COVID-19 messed up the last few years. The Stanley Cup Finals uh, are underway, and uh, they might be over quicker than we know it if Colorado continues to play like this. But as we enter Game 3, we know, based on previous experience at Tampa Bay, this ain't over till it's over. Episode 325 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, We'll start uh, the show this week with a pair of coaching vacancies uh, being filled by a couple of veteran coaches. Uh, Do you want to start with your guy, or do you want to start with... uh, everyone's favorite coach slash tv analyst well he well i guess now he's no longer my guy because um <laughs> uh, unfortunately but yeah he, in your heart though in my heart yes you're right you're right i mean it, it is i i know how you, i mean i guess it's not really the same thing but i do know how you feel because it's how mark stone you know the same thing happened with you and mark stone so um, yeah, it, it is fun. So anyways, uh, to bury the lead here, um, uh, uh, Bruce Cassidy, it, a week after he gets fired, Bruce Cassidy, uh, signs with the Vegas Golden Knights to be their coach, uh, which is a great hire. Um, I mean, I had thought that maybe Barry Trotz was like, or like Vegas would go with Barry Trotz, but I said when Cassidy was fired that like, you know, these guys are kind of very similar coaches of course trots has a cup so like you know maybe trots does have the edge there but um but at the same time it's like you know bruce cassidy was uh, dealing with a terrible roster and he somehow made the bruins into an 100 point team when he shouldn't have so um just with the roster that they had so it's like he's clearly a very good coach um but I will say that it's probably definitely a coincidence, but it's interesting how Vegas basically takes all of the Atlantic division rejects. Uh, They take uh, Mark Stone from Ottawa, Max Pacioretty from Montreal, Jack Eichel from Buffalo, and now Bruce Cassidy from Boston. Um, Don't forget Evgeny Dadnow from Ottawa for half a minute. I mean, I I don't really... Well, I mean, Mark Stone is basically the... but yeah i i guess yeah you can i mean obviously because of the expansion draft um there's a bunch of that stuff jonathan marcheso and riley smith from florida uh is another one um i'm sure if i actually think about it i'm sure there's other parallels too but um but yeah it it is kind of uh again obviously because of the expansion draft you know vegas has taken from every team theoretically speaking but um but yeah, it is interesting how like all the the top players or the key acquisitions have been from the Atlantic Division. Um, so it it is kind of funny in that way. But um, but yeah, anyways, I mean, I 
I think I'm, I'm, I will, I will never hate Bruce Cassidy. Um, so I, and I'm just, you know, I'm happy that he found a job. It is telling though, that, uh, like a week after he gets fired, uh, he gets hired by a team immediately. It just like says a lot about how much the Bruins messed up with this. It's like, you know, why, like, like they, I mean, I guess the, the Bruins did allow, uh, Vegas to talk with Cassidy. Um, so, so there is like that, but it's, um, that, that part of it is just like insane to me. It's just like, it shows how much the Bruins have really truly messed up where it's like, you know, we've been talking about Barry Trotz signing somewhere forever. It took, and as good as a coach as Trotz is, uh, sorry, Torts is, you know, he took a year off. Um, so it's just like, it's telling that like, uh, if a coach gets hired almost immediately, um, that's just a sign that like every other team knows how good of a coach this is. And that team that fired him, uh, messed up and, and they did. So I, there's no, no and ifs or buts about it. Do you want to take a guess as to the details of his coaching contract, Brett? Um, I believe it's a four-year deal, or maybe I, no. Am I thinking of Trotz? Oh no, you're thinking of the other guy who was yeah, yeah, Trotz. Um, yeah. That starts with the team. Top we'll talk about that <laughs> I, get, I get those two um, guys. That's the second time this episode. <laughs> I'm just <listening. laughs> yeah. uh, actually five, and it's oh, wow. he's getting paid four point five million per year. So wow. like, this is a very noteworthy contract, and he's also getting paid. $3 million by Boston because he had one year remaining on his current deal. Right. So he'll That's be right. getting paid by uh, two different teams uh, this year. 57 years of age. When we talk about the Bruins and asset management and how it's been a problem in some aspects, um, when Bruce Cassidy arrived, there were similar asset management problems with Claude Julian, particularly getting the best out of the veterans while also getting the best out of the young guys. And I feel that's similar to what Vegas is dealing with now or could soon be dealing with. And that's why I think Bruce Cassidy, while I do think Trotz would be a good fit for Vegas and maybe to a lesser extent, John Tortorella, uh, Bruce Cassidy, I think, might be the best fit for them. Because yep. when you look at the Bruins before Bruce Cassidy, as I mentioned many times before, you had guys like David Pasternak that were on the cusp of something great, and you needed to get the best out of veterans like Brad Marchand, get them to level up a couple of levels. And they got the leveling up with Brad Marchand. He's one of the best uh, reliable, consistent point producers in the league, uh, has been for a couple of years now. I feel like you need to get that out of Mark Stone while injuries might be the big problem, I think there's another level to Mark Stone's game that we haven't seen yet, and I think Cassidy could get the best out of that, perhaps out of John so as well. Uh, William Carlson has kind of struggled since his big year in Vegas. They need to get him going as well. Uh, obviously, the likes of Bradley Smith and Matias Yamark may not be back with expiring contracts. Um, I was thinking if they kept Evgeny Dadnov around, um, he would be another guy that uh, maybe Bruce Cassidy could uh, kind of elevate his stature once again after a couple of rough seasons. But now that uh, he's been traded in a capped-up move with Montreal that right. sees Vegas take on Shea Weber's contract, 
in all likelihood, Vegas is probably going to use that money to go after uh, another hotshot player that they think would uh, fit well into their top six. But bottom line is you need to get the most out of those veterans or at least get another level out of them that we haven't seen yet. And you also need to get the most out of the young prospects. And Vegas is at the point with their cap situation where Brendan Brisson is going to have to be an NHL player. Uh, Logan Thompson, we saw him late in the year in the net with injuries, and he did pretty well. I think at some point he's probably going to be asked to play regular NHL minutes behind Robin Leonard. They need to get the best out of Robin Leonard as well. I don't think we've seen that with head coach Pierre DeBoer over the past year and a half, and that's got to change. There's also guys like Nolan Patrick who in their draft years were highly touted prospects, just hasn't worked out for them. You need to get the best out of him as well. Uh, Nicholas Roy, a good, effective guy, but I think there's another level to him. So fingers crossed if you're Vegas that Bruce Cassidy is going to individually get the most out of that group, but also on a team level, get the most out of this group. Like we talked about many times, Brett, how weak the Pacific Division was, or maybe not weak, but unpredictable, and how it was just like, okay, you got Vegas, you got maybe the Alberta teams, and then everyone else. In the Atlantic Division, where Bruce Cassidy has called home for the past three, four, five years, it was a dogfight during the regular season. You had Tampa in the mix, you had Toronto in the mix, then Florida comes along. All of these teams constantly battling each other for positioning throughout the course of the regular season, not to mention the playoffs. And I think that dogfight mentality could set Vegas up for future success, in theory, with Cassidy at the helm. So that's another thing to keep an eye on. Bruce Cassidy has been battle-tested in the division across the regular season and across the playoffs for the better part of minimum the past two years at max his entire career with the Bruins. It's always been a battle to become the best that you can be. And I think that's something that's uh, really going to help the Golden Knights. It, it all depends moving forward what their front office does to better this team. And everything after that is up to Bruce Cassidy. And there's, there's no excuses. Vegas has the roster to start winning and they've had, the, they've had the roster to do some winning but in key moments, they've underachieved in areas where there have been glaring flaws in their lineup that need to be solved. I think Cassidy could solve them, particularly with the power play. But it all it all depends on where everybody slots in, finding places for certain pieces to excel, and just getting this team on track, ready to go, game in and game out. Because those inconsistencies, getting everyone ready to play, getting everyone engaged, cost Vegas valuable pro- points early in the season. And it'll continue to cost them if they don't get them fixed. Yeah, I mean, I think he is an upgrade to uh, uh, Pete DeBoer, uh, obviously. So I think, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do. I think, like, even if the the Golden Knights did, like, you know, kept DeBoer, it would be, I feel like Vegas would be a lot better because I think the reason why Vegas didn't make the playoffs this year was purely because of injuries. And if they had everybody healthy, they would have been a lot better. But And was... to Cassidy's credit, there's another check mark on his resume. Boston, I think, I can't remember if it was this year or the year prior, 
but they were hit with injuries oh, yeah. early in the season and they kept winning. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that was last year. Um, but yeah, so I, I think there, I mean, like, yeah, even if that does happen again, which I don't think it will, but I guess it could. Um, yeah, I, I think you, uh, yeah, that, that is a good point too, that Cassidy can still keep it rolling. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I think like, you know, they're even stronger now that they have a better coach as well. I uh, was just my whole point to it is that like, they, they should like, they should have made the playoffs anyways. It was just, you know, it wasn't really the coach. Although the uh, DeBoer didn't get along with Robin Leonard, so um, yeah, so that, that was the final nail in the coffin for DeBoer. Yeah. When you have a yeah. rift between the starting goalie that you're paying a lot of money right. to and a lot of term, um, with a head coach that is, in my opinion, easily replaceable. If it's a battle between player and the coach, ultimately the player yeah. wins most of the time, um, and it causes a rift between the team. That's that's where you need to just say, okay, we need to change somewhere, and it's probably the coach. Yep. Um, so I think that would have been a losing battle if they kept DeBoer and gave him and Letter a chance to work it out. I think the ship had sailed at that point. Right, right, right. Um, so now we go to the next coaching hire that also isn't Barry Trotz, but it's a similar last name. Um, it's John Tortorello. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know who's going to replace him on ESPN now, but, um, but yeah, as long as uh, it's not Mike Melbury, I'm fine. With yeah, yeah, I mean you don't have to even watch any any anyways. So it's like uh, even if it is Mike Melbury, you you do, don't necessarily it won't affect your life too much. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, so John Torella goes to the or is now coaching the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, it was actually interesting because now that I'm looking, I'm just trying to because it was uh, a contract. I kind of spoiled it a little bit. Early on in this episode, but uh, Torts uh, signs this contract uh, f- uh, for four years in Philly, um, and like this is going to be his third time in the Central Division, uh, where because he coached uh, Columbus from twenty fifteen. You mean the Metro, right? Yeah, when I say the only, I, it's so confusing. You said the Central. Uh, oh, did I say By the, the way, Central? four million per year is what he's getting paid. So but, Chuck Fletcher is paying his coaches a lot of money, not just yeah, his yeah. players. By the way, the the Metro should actually be the Atlantic because they're all their all their <laughs> yeah. They, well, that's what yeah. they were called at first, weren't right, they? Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Even before, um, yeah, when it was uh, like five teams in each division. Yeah, you're right. right. Um, but um, yeah, just because it's like every team in that division is nearby the Atlantic Ocean, uh, where you can't really say that for the the actual Atlantic division. But anyways, he's in the same division as uh the central for the third time in his career uh the uh the first time was in the rangers from 2008 to 2013 and then columbus most recently uh from 2015 to 2021 um and then of course he had a stint in vancouver and then he of course he had uh, his breakout role or i guess his first coaching gig was in tampa bay this was before Tampa Bay became a bona fide franchise and dynasty, but uh, that's where they won their first cup when he was the coach there. So he has a cup. He's been to, uh, oh no, I, I guess he didn't end up going to the Stanley Cup finals for the Rangers. Um, I thought oh, he that did. That was Vigneault. Yeah, that was Vigneault. I guess that was the year after. Is that true? 
Yeah, so he was fired May 29th, yeah. 2013, and then the year after with right. Vigneault, with Tortorella still on the Rangers' payroll, the Rangers went to the Got playoffs. Got it, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm seeing, yeah, I guess they did, yeah, because I remember they did make the playoffs a lot, but I thought, like, for some reason, because that, that's when I truly remember the Rangers being a really good team. Uh, the but, funny thing is, yeah. he signed that contract with Vancouver that was a $2 yeah. million cap for five years, he got fired before the Rangers yeah. lost to the finals. Oh right, I do. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyways, but what I I have so like anyways, I was a little bit curious about like his coaching resume because he did get he did sign for four years, um, uh, for Philadelphia, and um, you know I I think that is a good hire because like you know Tortorello. Tortorella um, is a like a coach that really uh, emphasizes defense and that's something that Philly desperately needs and you know who knows if like who's gonna like obviously you're gonna have guys who go into the doghouse and, and things like of that nature but you know for the most part like he gets the most out of them by playing pure pure defense um, he's often like when he, during his ESPN gig, he was very critical of Connor McDavid and Trevor Zegras because they were showboating and playing offense and focusing on offense. So it's it's really just like Torts's whole philosophy is that you have to defenses win championships, and you know he has the pedigree to prove it. Even though like you know I I don't think he he obviously he doesn't care what anyone thinks about him, but. Um, cause, but like, yeah, as long as it's working, it's working. So I do like this higher, but I had this theory that like people, teams tend to wear out, um, of him pretty quickly. But now that I'm looking here, uh, other than Vancouver, uh, he coached Tampa for seven years. He coached New York, uh, for five years and he coached Columbus for six years so and and he made uh, four playoffs for those three teams, not Vancouver. Let's like just forget Vancouver <laughs> existed. And they instantly got better right and, away. That's yeah. the key thing. The first right. couple of years, he had a positive impact yeah. right off the get go, and they kept going. Well, well, for New York, yes, but for uh, Columbus, it doesn't. It like they they were still eighth in the Metro in his first year. Although I guess he did play. True, and, uh, he did but coach at that time. Minutes, but, that yeah. time they were getting Fair. better with the injuries. Nothing yeah. was going right for them, and it was the year after where they yeah. really took off. And they didn't have uh, that yeah. stretch of winning ever. Like True. the stretch with John Tortorella is their most successful in team history. There's no debate. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. And and to be fair, I'm, as I'm looking at his coaching resume. Uh, they did go 34, 33, and 8 that year. So that's not bad. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's... Um, but, like, yeah, I, I do tend to feel like teams just wear out of them. But I guess that's not even really true. It's just, like, three of the four teams that he's coached um, have been very successful for him. And, you know, you consistently make the playoffs. And that's... I mean, yes, you know, obviously, ideally, you want to, like, win more than that. But he did win the Stanley Cup one year for Tampa. Um, but that's really all you can ask for is just to to be in the hunt. Um, so, so yeah, you have that. Um, what is interesting, though, is that, like, uh, you do get, like, players like Brandon Dubinsky who said, like, who trashes the whole thing. 
he has a it's like common knowledge that Brandon Dubinsky hates John Tortorello. Um, and then uh, Zach Wierenski uh, said something along the lines of like, you know, that's a great hire. But then Cam Atkins, uh, it was on Instagram, and then Cam Atkinson like made it like uh, just said um, who's on the Flyers, but he was also in Columbus when Tortorello was around. Um, he uh, he said shut up or mind your business type of thing, which is very interesting because Cam Atkinson is now currently on the Flyers, yep. and um, so like I, it's it's unclear if Warinsky. A, if Wierenski was being sarcastic with that comment, or B, uh, which I guess is more important, if uh, Cam Atkinson is happy or sad about this this whole thing, because like who knows if Cam Atkinson is happy or not about it. I mean, he he didn't have a terrible year this year, so um, who knows? But um, yeah, like it is funny that like he uh, Cam Atkinson goes. To, I mean, I guess it wasn't involved with the trade, but he goes to. Philadelphia, he's probably happy that he doesn't have to focus so much on defense, and then he's just like, "Oh, great, we get we get John Tortorella back." Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's definitely um, it'll be interesting. I, I think the thing that's going to be the most interesting with Torts is like who's going to be in his doghouse because there's there's always that one player on every single team that um, that is in uh, John Torts's. Uh, Doghouse like Patrick Line, um, Anthony Duclair are the most famous examples from his Columbus days. I mean, I, I'm sure there were on uh, on the Rangers and um, in Tampa Bay, and pretty much everyone hated him in Vancouver. So, um, so I'm sure that sure there was something to that too. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm going to be curious because it's like it would be shocking if everybody in Philadelphia. loves the guy because because that's just who he is and uh, that's like as great of a coach as he is he can rub players the wrong way he's the uh the exact opposite of like a player's coach getting to your point about cam atkinson uh towards his first year in columbus was 2015-16 cam atkinson had 27 goals and 53 points that year with 226 shots 35 goals 62 points the following year on 240 shots 24 goals, 46 points, 65 games, 231 shots the year after that. Monster season in 1819 with 41 goals, 69 points, nearly 300 shots. Um, didn't work out so well due to injuries, but in the 44 games he played in 2019 20, 12 goals, 26 points, 148 shots. That is finally your Columbus where everything went sideways. Still got 15 goals, 34 points, and 56 games with 158 shots. So, Torts can get some offense out of Cam Atkinson. I'm not necessarily sure if Cam Atkinson himself felt like he was flourishing with Tortorella, but uh, that's um, something to, to monitor as we get into his second season with the Flyers. Um, in terms of players that I think could be in the doghouse or could find themselves there, there are three names that automatically come to mind. And all depends, uh, in a few cases, if they're still around. Obviously, the name that everyone's going to look at is Rasmus Ristolainen because defensively, you need to get this guy on the same page and be at least an average defender. Uh, secondly, Ivan Provorov. The talk about him the past couple of years, getting a reliable defensive partner, getting him to play the right way, I think that's another one to monitor. And the one that comes to mind right away for me when this move was hired is Travis Konechny. 
I don't think Travis Konechny, where it matters in key moments, is a guy the Flyers can lean on. Their offensive upside, don't get me wrong, is definitely there. But the past couple of years, I think there's a lot to be desired there. And Tortorella is going to be tasked with, with getting more out of him. And the whole Carter Hart experiment is just like, uh, it's not all Carter Hart's fault. For mm. anyone who's saying this is all in Carter Hart, John Tortorella being the coach of the Flyers is 100% what this team needs. Yep. There were a lot of times, whether it was with Alain or Mike Hill, where it didn't feel to me that the Flyers were engaged, they were prepared, they were ready to play, they were motivated to play. John Tortorella, whether you like him or don't, motivates his guys, gets everyone on the same page, gets them playing like a unit, especially within the first couple of years, and he gets them to buy in. Yep. The Flyers, to me, didn't look like a team that bought in last year, and their record definitely showed it. Like, how do you explain? How do you explain how a team that went all out in the offseason to address their needs still had not one but two double-digit losing streaks? Yep. Like, how? Even in a tough division, how do you lose that many games consecutively, multiple times? In that same season, you're leaving Carter Hart to drive practically every single night. You need to get the best out of your players. They're not getting the best out of their players. Their best players were practically injured, which is another thing. Even if injuries absolutely jettison your entire roster, in 2019-20, the Jackets still found a way to win games. They were resilient. And again, it's all because John Tortorella got them to buy into the system and got them to believe in each other. Not just his plan, but in each other. And yeah, there are going to be some players whose statistical numbers don't benefit towards his style. And there are going to be some guys that dislike him, but you know what? Torts gets results, and that's what the Flyers need right now. The only concern that I have with John Tortorella is, is he in a situation where nothing he does works? Because, let's face facts. Remember a couple months ago when all those changes were happening and the Flyers were basically saying, look, we're out of the running, we're focusing on next year. And then the front office decided to have this ingenious idea of giving more money to the guy who spent to the wall last offseason thinking, oh, this offseason is going to be different. We have faith in Chuck Fletcher. He's going to get the job done. He'll fix this mess that uh, (laughs) largely has been created by Chuck Fletcher himself. I don't know if whatever the Flyers do or what the Flyers have done, I don't know if it can revert the past. I don't know if John Tortorella has walked into a situation where, despite his best intentions, the best thing that the Flyers are going to be is a wildcard competitor and not a shoo-in to make the playoffs. This team needs to contend and make the playoffs regularly with the way. And obviously with his track record... I don't blame any Flyers fans who think that way. Yep. But you got to have the right pieces in place. And given the payroll, the limited payroll, where the Flyers can kind of correct things, go out and make a hockey trade to better their roster, they do have some young prospects coming in, but I don't necessarily know if those prospects are really going to thrive under Tortorella's system, similar to like a Morgan Frost or a Cam York, uh, Bobby Brink as well. Um, I'm sure there are other names, but they're also the three names that come to mind for me. 
it's it's a lot of uncertainty. In, in theory, this could go great for Philly, but similar to the experience in Vancouver, it could also not really make much of a difference at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like um, I'm going to take Vancouver's exception here uh, as an exception because it's like, okay, so he's coached for four teams right now, and three of them you would say were um, like – no doubt a success um, from a coaching standpoint. So I'm going to take, like, yes, I guess it could happen where he just runs out of favor very quickly and, um, and like, the same thing happens for Vancouver, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, as I just have a couple of notes here. One, uh, you mentioned Carter Hart. I think there, um, there are two names that um, any Philly fans need to... Um, remember from a John Tortorella teams um, and uh, and Carter Hart definitely has that potential. One is uh, Henrik Lundqvist and the second is Sergei Bobrovsky. Both of them uh, truly broke out um, when John Tortorella was their coach. Um, so like True. we could definitely see Carter Hart break into that mold. We know that he, he like his rookie year Carter Hart was phenomenal. So we could definitely see Carter Hart pull in that same comparison with Hank and uh, Bob. Um, and to an extent, uh, Hugh Dobin, or not Hugh Dobin in Tampa, Javi Bullen in Tampa Bay. Yeah, that's another uh, Those cup-winning teams, he played well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of think more of like, I feel like Hank and Bob are the better examples. But yes, Javi Bullen was also pretty good for uh, John, John Tortorella, of course. Um and then uh, the other points, uh, yeah, you did mention how, like, the Flyers were a disappointment, and I'm not going to dispute that because, of course, they were. But I will say, uh, Ryan Ellis uh, only played four games, um, and Sean Couturier only played half a season, um, and those are, like, you know, your two best guys, especially on the defensive side of things. So I'm assuming those guys are healthy, and it's a lot like the uh, Vegas stuff that we were talking about. It's like... Just a Kevin Hayes being another name too. Yeah, that Kevin could Hayes be a was out for a bit. That had his ice time limited due to injury. Yeah. That those those three names yeah. are going to be the guys that Torts probably leans on to yeah. deliver team defense. I, I think, if I recall, that is a good point. I think Kevin Hayes played under Torts when he was on the Rangers, but I'm not. Yeah, yeah, you you might be right about. I'm pretty, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I could look this up, but uh, I'm not going to. Um, but. Um, so Couturier um, and Ellis, so I think that has an example. The one thing, I will agree with you that there is a mystery here um, that, yeah, I, th I think, like, Fletcher didn't have a great offseason. That's, like, an understatement um, last last year um, because, like, yeah, you, you know, like, I, I don't think Ryan Ellis was the, the worst move, but, um, but like, uh, the, the Rasmus was the line in trade, I'm going to be very, very curious because that's been his whole thing with Ristolainen. Or that's been Ristolainen's whole thing in his entire career is that he won't, he can't play defense. And um, if anyone can get something out of Rasmus Ristolainen, it's John Tortorella. I don't have any faith that that's going to happen though. So uh, that's going to be interesting. And like, yeah, as I was just saying, it's like who's going to be in Torts's. Um, Doghouse, I think Risto is the, the front runner for, for that uh, title. Yeah. 
Um, so that, those are the only notes there. Um, uh, went... Confirmed Kevin Hayes has never played for Tortorella. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense because yeah. he... Um, yeah, because Kevin Hayes, I mean, he's not, like, young or anything, but, yeah, I guess that does make yeah. some his, sense. His first season was 14-15. Torts' his last season with the Rangers was 2012-13. Okay. So a couple of years after Torts left Hayes' debut with the Rangers. I, okay, that makes sense. All right. Um, I mean, that would be kind of – I mean, like, I guess <laughs> they know similar amounts of people, so maybe Kevin Hayes can, like, ask around uh, yeah. who else knows him. But, yes, you're right. Um, okay. So, uh, lastly, um, so that, that about does it. It should be interesting either way. I think it's like, you know, as, as controversial as he was on ESPN, I think it, it made sense that he would get another job at some point um, pretty soon. Um, okay, so, um, so because we, I mean, uh, th this next topic before we get into the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, this is mostly just to do with the fact that we did cover the Frozen Four um, I, I like to think of this analogy where I am to college hockey as you are to the CHL, um, where like I watch more college hockey games and you are less knowledgeable about it all, and that's a similar thing for uh, the CHL with you. Like I, I think we both have a good good sense of like who are the the top guys in each league, but we we don't like watch the games just because we we can't and it's not in the other country. So, um, so yeah, I'm gonna. The Memorial Cup is starting this weekend. The only thing I know about the Memorial Cup is the Edmonton Oil Kings are a very, very good team, um, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they're probably your favorite based on that. Well, I wouldn't say favorite, but they they are my pick to to win the whole thing, just just based mm. off of what I know. Interesting. Well, um, we'll save those uh, best teams for last and we'll start with the two teams that are in the same league uh, jostling for this title one is the host the other actually won the darn thing we'll start with the team that uh we'll, we'll start with the host we'll start with the host because uh, they haven't really been talked about uh, since uh, they've been eliminated and they do believe it or not have some electrifying point producers here uh, that would be uh thomas shabbat's alma mater the saint john sea dogs out of saint john new brunswick William Dufour, uh, 56 goals, 116 points in 66 games, uh, 312 shots on goal near the leaderboard uh, for uh, scoring across the queue, I think, uh, tops in league scoring. You also have Josh Lawrence with 31 goals, 101 points in 68 games uh, throughout the regular season two. Uh, Ryan Francis, 65 points in 54 games, uh, had a decent uh, season for the minutes uh, that he played. They also got uh, some trade deadline acquisitions, uh, one from Victoriaville, Vincent Seveny, uh, 64 points in 62 games, uh, 36 points in 37 games since the trade from Victoriaville. Um, Brady Burns, another 60-plus point guy, 27 goals in 68 games for him as well. Uh, defensively, you have Jeremy Poirier, who was uh, on the NHL draft board uh, last year, I believe. 57 points in 67 games, 233 shots on the back end. Uh, William Villeneuve, also pretty lethal on def on uh, the blue line. 56 points in 64 games, 121 shots on goal for him. Uh, and they've uh, also got a plethora of depth guys uh, that can uh, chime in uh, at key times. 
In uh, the playoffs, though, um, it's easy to make the playoffs in the queue. Basically, only two teams don't make it. Uh, unfortunately for the Sea Dogs, uh, they were uh, bounced in five games, so uh, they didn't really uh, last long. So they've been, uh, I guess you could say, well rested. But I also think uh, rust buildup could be a concern, especially when you've got a team like the Shawinigan Cataracts knocking on the back door. A guy that's uh, a team that uh, they definitely uh, seen a couple of times. Uh, we'll start with uh, their regular season success because uh, not nearly as glorified as the Sea Dogs, but there are some weapons there. Olivier Nadeau led the team in scoring with 35 goals and 78 points uh, in 65 games played. Xavier Bourgeau, Edmonton Oilers prospect, 36 goals in only 43 games, and he had 75 points in those 43 games, nearly 200 shots as well. Another guy on uh, people's radar for... Uh, I, I guess more on the injury side of things, but the potential is there. Maverick Bork, a late first-round oh. pick by the Dallas Stars in 2020. He's on the Cataracts uh, currently, and uh, he finished uh, third in uh, team scoring with 68 points, and he also had 20 goals. Only played 31 games, so that's um, at least uh, two points per game pace for him. Pretty good there. Uh, in the playoffs, when you take a look at the playoffs, uh, obviously they won the whole thing. They uh, only played uh, as a group uh, 16 games, so it didn't take them too long uh, to claim victory there. Uh, Maverick Bork leading the way with 25 points in 16 games. Xavier Bourgeau and uh, Pierre Dubay both scoring 12 goals in 16 games. Bourgeau with 22 points, Dubay with 18. And uh, their top uh, scoring defenseman, Zachary Massacotti with uh, 10 points uh, in 15 games. Again, one of those teams that uh, relies on a bit of depth scoring uh, outside of their top scoring. But uh, they've been able uh, to get some results. And as we saw in the finals against uh, Charlottetown, um, the one thing that Shawinigan wasn't afraid uh, was down to the wire matches because they would usually claim victory. Uh, I think at least two games, maybe three. Uh, against the Charlottetown Islanders with a lot of talent in their own right. The uh, Cataracts were able to force overtime, and they were able to prevail in pretty much a lot of their games. Uh, and in the finals, they really emerged as champions there. So uh, in the QMJHL, those are the two teams to watch out for. Now let's take a look at uh, the Ontario Hockey League representative. Obviously, there's only one team because the host uh, is out of the queue. Uh, it came down to the Hamilton Bulldogs and the Windsor Spitfires in the OHL Finals. Uh, it went the full distance. It went uh, seven games, and uh, it was the Hamilton Bulldogs uh, prevailing in that series. They finished first in their division, actually first in the league with 107 points and uh, 51 wins. And uh, you want to talk about uh, depth scoring? This team definitely has a lot of that. Um Mason McTavish, uh, in particular, uh, he started out his OHL career in Peterborough, uh, number three pick by Anaheim in last year's draft. And Mason McTavish uh, was a pretty decent uh, scorer for them. In the playoffs, he had 29 points in 19 games, 16 goals in 19 games on, a, on just 98 uh -huh. shots as well. Jeez. So uh, he's uh, known for uh, scoring uh, some big-time goals, and he continued that trend. In the regular season, he only played 29 games, but he had 20 goals and 47 points 
um, over that stretch. Uh, 40 points in 24 games since uh, the midseason trade uh, out of Peterborough there. Logan Morrison, one of the OHL's top scorers, he had a 100-point season in the regular season, along with 34 goals in 60 games. Avery Hayes had 41 goals in 66 games. Uh, you have George Yako, 27 goals, 70 points in 68 games. Nathan Stales on the back end, 66 points in 59 games, 200-shot season for him. Habs prospect Ian Mishak still on the team, 64 points in 61 games with 34 goals. And uh, once again, uh, in the playoffs, you're getting a lot of reliable scoring. Logan Morrison, the top scorer on the team, as I mentioned, 19, uh, 19 games played, 17 goals, 39 points for him in the playoffs. Avery Hayes, 34 points in 16 playoff games, near a goal per game producer in the playoffs as well. So they've got um, a lot of offense uh, to bury you in the water. Um, and I would say they're uh, probably the favorites to at least make the finals. I think Hamilton, depth-wise, has what it takes. The interesting team that I'm going to watch and uh, the team that Brett highlighted is, of course, the Edmonton Oil Kings, simply because of the guys that they have. There are four guys right off the bat, before looking at their stats, I remember, because in previous NHL drafts we've highlighted them, oh, yeah. This guy played on the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, so those four guys would be goaltender Sebastian Casa, who was taken by the Detroit Red Wings, first-round pick, mid-first round last year. Uh, Jake Neighbors, a St. Louis Blues prospect. Caden uh, Gould, uh, who I believe was uh, taken by the Habs, I want to say. Yes, you and, are correct. Um, and then Dylan Gunther, who was a top-ten pick by uh, the Arizona Coyotes in last year's draft. He was involved... Uh, uh, or the pick that used to draft him was involved uh, in the Oliver Ekman Larson trade. So uh, taking a look at uh, the player stats for the Edmonton Oil Kings during the regular season, like I said, they had a lot of talent there. Uh, 91 points in 59 games for Mr. Gunther. 40, 45 of those points were goals, and he almost hit the 300-shot barrier too. Um Talking about uh, the other guys I just mentioned, Jake Neighbors only played 30 games, but he had 17 goals and 45 points in those games. And uh, shooting percentage was also pretty good, 17 goals on just 91 shots. Caden uh, Gould was a mid-season acquisition. He started off the year in Prince Albert, near a point-a-game player in the 17 games that he played. 25 points in 25 games since the move to Edmonton, giving him 40 points in 42 regular season games. And uh, I should also uh, give a shout-out to Luke Prokop, who, a uh, National Predators prospect uh, who uh, came out as gay. Um, right. And uh, he got himself a good year, too. 35 points in 58 games. The guy that can lower the body as well. Uh, so look out uh, for him in this tournament. Sebastian Costa, you look at his playoff stats and you think, man, that same percentage is awfully low when you look at the fact that his goals against average entering the finals was, like, below two. Uh, that's probably because he hasn't really faced too many shots, and that is a testament to uh, more so how good uh, the Oil Kings team game is, more so than uh, Sebastian Koss's ability to emerge in clutch situations. And in that uh, six-game battle with Seattle for the WHL title, um, yes, the Oil Kings were dictating the play, and most of the traffic was uh, being kept in the Seattle zone for the first half of Game 6. But uh, gradually the Thunderbirds got their chances and Casa was up to the task. 
every single opportunity that they had, and he didn't give up a single goal to uh, the Thunderbirds. Uh, I think he had uh, 28 saves on 28 shots uh, in Game 6 of the Finals there. Uh, speaking of playoff performances, Dylan Gunther, 13 goals in 16 games, finished with 21 points. Uh, Jake Neighbors had 17 points in 19 games. Most of those were assists. Uh, Caden Gould on the back end, 16 points in 19 games, pretty good as well. Uh, same stat line for Luke Prokop. Uh, I think all around the Oil Kings are the better team. The one doubt that I have about the Oil Kings is fatigue and whether or not it's going to catch up to them. Because I don't know if you've noticed, Brett, the, OH, uh, the OHL plays 68 games. I think it's the same amount for the Q. It could be just a bit more or a bit less than 68 games. Uh, it's uh, early 70s for the WHL. The WHL probably has the biggest schedule. Um, and, of course, you factor in the playoffs as well. Um, if you look at the Memorial Cup winners since 2014 the only name that shows up on the whl is the edmonton oil kings <laughs> since they won it in 2014 when curtis lazar was their captain by the way and tristan jerry was their goalie um no whl team forget the edmonton oil kings no whl team since the 2014 memorial cup has won it all in the memorial cup so that's my only concern, similar to the Tampa Bay Lightning, is will they run out of gas? If they don't, they're the team to beat, and they're ultimately going to win. Uh, so I, I think they're going to be fine. They're going to win it all. Um, and um, the team they probably beat in the finals is Hamilton. I think uh, Edmonton and Hamilton, uh, they're the two best teams that I'm looking at. Uh, the others, they're no slouch too, but um, I With think Geico, Edmonton and Hamilton are the more equipped. Hot sauce, is there? I have, like, Sorry, hold on. I, I actually like hot sauce. I have, I have an ad that I didn't realize about. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so uh, in case anyone didn't hear, Edmonton uh, is the winner and uh, Hamilton's the finalist. That's what I'm going for. Okay, nice, nice. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, it has, so I do have a question for you. Has a host team ever won? Or when was the last time a host team has ever won? Uh, the last time the host team won. Well, I don't know if they were the last uh, host team to win, but I do remember very vividly the Shawinigan Cataracts beating the London Knights in overtime of the finals, and they entered that tournament as the host team. Uh, oh. So, And I think this is the first time, actually, since 2012, they've actually been to the Memorial Cup. So, uh in my memory, the latest was Shawinigan in 2012. I could be wrong, but uh, they have done it before. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I was just thinking how, like, it's, um, how it's, uh, there is a no, um, um, like, like, I feel like they're all, like, just underdogs from a certain standpoint, so... Um, so yeah, I, I do find that interesting. So yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I guess we'll see. Um, and then uh, lastly, when you were doing that whole spiel, I was just like, oh, I know that guy. He's on my team, like Maverick Bork. 
I, I do have Mason McTavish in a league. I, I have Gunther in a league. So I was just like, oh, so I hope that was as interesting uh, to other people. So but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> but, yeah, Windsor in 2017, the last uh, host team to win. I stand corrected. They beat Erie in the finals. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Di Pietro uh, was the starter on that team. Still waiting for him to make it big in the show, but hasn't happened yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I do remember you were high on that guy. Um, so, so that's, that's, there's still time. There is still time. time. You, you Similar to Jack Campbell. You know, you do have a point there. There is still time. Um, okay. So we're going to start off with, um, yeah. So the Stanley cup finals was, uh, was happening. And so by the way, because like <laughs> the, the ad break that we had, um, or that little like voice thing was because one of these recaps things that I was looking at, uh, I guess there's just auto ads or something like that. So they always like play them at the worst time. So I, I apologize again uh, for that. It wasn't because I wasn't listening or anything like that. But um, so it might happen again, but we'll we'll see. Um, so anyways, uh, these so there's been uh, two games in this uh, Avalanche Lightning series. And they couldn't be more opposite uh, from each other. Uh, the first game was pretty interesting. It was uh, uh, the Avalanche. I mean, even though the Avalanche are up to nothing. Um, but, uh, yeah, they still couldn't be the most opposite. Um, so, uh, in game one, the Avalanche ended up winning 4-3. to three. Um, And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was like, I, I feel like this was the, the kind of game that we were all like expecting of like, you know, I was just thinking like, Oh, this should be like, you know, I don't even care who wins. I'm at that standpoint, but, um, but yeah, it's just like, like, I just want to see good hockey played by both teams. And it's like, it's just uh 50, 50 for each single game. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, not, that's not what happened last night, but, uh, but yeah, this four, three, uh, game was, was pretty cool. Uh, what happened was, uh, the Avalanche took a uh, two nothing lead to start, and then uh, Nicholas Paul scored, and then um, and then so to make it two one, and then Lekkinen made it three one, and then in the second period it was uh, the Lightning caught up and made it three three uh, from Palat and Sergachev. There was no scoring in the third, and then um, in the OT, like a minute into the OT, uh, Andre Burakovsky scores. Um, and, and that was it. And like, you know, I guess it was a little bit anticlimactic because you were just, you know, whenever there's an OT game, you kind of expect like at least like five minutes or you kind of want at least five minutes of OT. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's kind of cool just to see like, oh, a, a goal like got scored on pretty, pretty early. So it's like, it's not going to be one of those like, uh, times when it's like ends in the middle of the night or something like that. So, so that was good to see. Um, then, uh, game two, um, I, re I remember, I don't know if you uh, remember, I, I guess you do remember this, but uh, so when I told you that uh, the Avalanche took game one um, and, uh, and then you were saying that it's a, like, it's okay, Tampa Bay shouldn't worry, they're going to take game two. And yeah. I, I was... <laughs> And you I said, would, don't underestimate the abs, or I think you yeah. underestimate the abs, well, something like that. And yeah, yeah, right, something like that. I did. Yeah, I mean, I well, I, I think I, like, I. it's not that, like, I thought that, like, the Avalanche were definitely going to win game two, 
But, like, I, I just felt like you were saying, like, oh, this, like, you were calling it before the game even started. So I was just like, wait, wait, hold on one second. Like, let, let's not uh, let's not pretend that the Avalanche are, like, the New York Rangers or the Edmonton Oilers all of a sudden. So, anyways, the, uh, to, uh, to explain here, the, um, uh, I guess this is, like, the, uh, the Lightning were bad. How bad were they, you ask? Um, hypothetically, even though you probably already know. Uh, they lost 7 to nothing, And not only that, they only had 16 shots on goal. Um, it should also be noted that the Lightning route shot 38 to 23 in Game 1. So, yep. the fact... Uh, I will give Colorado credit for this. Yep. The fact that... The most shots the Lightning have had in a game this series is 23, and that game went to overtime. And then you limit them to, I think, 17 shots the game after. So 40 shots combined yep. over the first two games. Like, Colorado is doing a good job of containing Tampa Bay's offense and not allowing them to get primary scoring chances or chances of any kind that hit the net. Yep. Uh, so I will give Colorado credit there, but to, to your point, uh, Tampa's offense hasn't been playing its best hockey when it needs to. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Braden Point's not playing and all that stuff. But um, but at the same time, Colorado doesn't have Tadri, doesn't have uh, Sam Gerrard. So it's like, you know, there's injuries on both sides of the fence here, too. Um, and you By could, the way, Braden Point uh, played in Game 1, just saying. Oh, he did? He but yeah, I don't think he played Game 2, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, game 2, I'm not quite sure, but it says he look. did get uh, an assist. Uh, he did return uh, oh, point did for play. the first game of the series. Okay, yeah, Point, point did play Game 2. All right, never mind. Yeah, he did play game two. And, For some uh, reason, I thought I thought Point played game one. I was about to give you an excuse, Tampa, and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes it even worse now. Yeah, now, it, now it's worse. Uh, also, it, 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 is, is it bad that uh, Vasilevsky was kept in for all seven goals? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I... I don't know. I, I feel like it's, yeah, I mean, certainly, I'm not sure if I would necessarily have done that. Obviously, there's a reason why I'm the not fact a coach. That it was, like, but, the fact it was 5 nothing after 2, Yeah. you need Vasilevsky rested for Game 3. I'm, even if Brian Elliott has barely played in these playoffs, if that game is about as good as done in the, heading into the third period, yeah. I'd probably put Elliott in there and give Vasilevsky a break because if I'm, if I'm John Cooper, I need him for Game 3. Yeah, I guess you could make that case. I don't know. I think there there is something to like maybe Vasilevsky just like thrives on this or something like that. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that, that that is a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, but uh, yeah. So anyways, the way that the goals were distributed by period went out was uh, Nachushkin got the first goal, then um, Manson, and then Burakovsky. Then in the second period, you have Nichushkin again and Darren Helm. And then in the third period, you have Kale McCarr, who had a shorthanded goal. And then you had Kale McCarr again for a power play goal. Um, what's interesting is, is that there was, of those seven goals, uh, three of them were on special teams. So that, that's impressive in its own right. Um, also, I didn't, because I didn't even mention the assist of these, it's that... Um, uh, Miko Rantanen had three assists in these uh, in this game as well. So I feel like Miko Rantanen is one of the most underrated players in the league because it's like yeah, like even as like a Finnish player, like you could make a case, strong case that he's like 
you know, he's up there with Sebastian Ajo and uh, um, Barkov. Um, even, I guess you could also put in Heiskanen as one of the better Finns uh, currently, but... Like yeah, I I feel underrated in the sense that like like maybe the, he's the, not the first name that you talk about when yeah. you talk about Colorado. You probably yeah. talk about Nathan McKinnon first, or Caleb oh, yeah, yeah. or even Landis Cobb. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely part of it. I I just find that like you know when you think of Colorado, it's like like yeah, we should be talking about Miko Rantanen, but like yeah, I think there is that sense of like. Oh, right, right. M- McKinnon and McCarr are, like, generational talents. And yeah, it, it's kind of like the mcdavid Drysail yeah. situation where it's like, yeah. we need to talk about Leon Drysail yeah. more, but we never do because, like, hey, look at what Carter McDavid did the other Right, day. right, right. And, like, Landeskog is a unique player or just has a unique uh, play style and um, he's also the captain and, and you know, yeah. there's a lot of guys you can talk about on Colorado. But, yeah, it's just, like, he's consistently one of the better players uh, for the last like 10 years or so. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyways, there's that. Um, and, and I guess it's kind of similar to like how, I guess how, like when you talk about Florida, you don't really talk about Jonathan Huberto, even though he's one of their best players. So that's uh, another example. Um, anyways, um, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it really did, like, I, I, <laughs> what happened to me was I started watching this game and then, like, you know, as as much as I am rooting for Colorado throughout this whole series, I just, I kind of tuned out after a while because I was just like, okay, it's like, it looks like that. But, like, Tampa tuned out too, it seemed. Um, and it was just very uncharacteristic. I think this was probably the worst game that Tampa has ever played in this dynasty era, um, or the, you know, the last three years in the playoffs, um, bar none. So, um, at the same time, um, the, uh, Tampa Bay did lose two nothing or were, were down two nothing to the Rangers in the Eastern conference finals. Um, it's very possible that the lightning will pick it up in game three and four. In fact, I, I expect it. Um, the only difference, though, is Colorado is a much better team than the Rangers are. Um, so it will be very, very intriguing to see what's going on in Game 3. Um, I, I think I have to qualify that I think Game 3 is must-win for Tampa. Um, because, yeah, I, I don't see... Like, if Tampa loses Game 3, I don't see how uh, Tampa can win four straight games after that um, against this Colorado team. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think I think we will get a series um, in game three, but we'll, we'll have to see. So I'll give a couple of reasons why Tampa should be concerned and why Colorado should be concerned. Let's start with why Tampa should be concerned. Like I said, the first the – fir- like right off the hop, 40 shots in two games, and all those goals came in an OT loss in game one. And most of those goals came within the span of less than a minute in the second period. So outside of that, Tampa's been pretty much held in check. Um, Colorado's getting bodies in front of Vasilevsky. They're getting traffic in front. They're getting odd man rushes. They're getting breakaways. They're hemming Tampa in their own zone. In game two, they just didn't let up. And it was out of hand by the second period. 
the other reason why Tampa should be concerned is after those two periods in game two, Nathan McCarr, uh, I almost said Nathan McCarr, Nathan McKinnon. That'd be crazy. Na- yeah, might as well. They're, they're yeah, you just the like player. merge them. Yeah, that would be like a Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're 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 double the fun. Yeah. Nathan McKinnon, zero points. Kale McCarr, zero points. Gabriel Landeskog, zero points through 40 minutes of game two. And their team was still up five nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like your your team is dominating play and three of your best players have zero points, offensively speaking, on the stat board, have done nothing. And they've probably done a lot of positive things in other ways, but they've done nothing offensively on the score sheet through the first forty minutes of a game where your team is practically dominating. Right. That's not good if you're Tampa Bay. Now let's get to the reasons why Tampa Bay should feel a little bit of confidence heading into a must-win Game 3 because it is a must-win. If they lose Game 3, it might be curtains for them. Actually, it is curtains. The Colorado Avalanche... Wait, wait, I have to say it's like technically it's not curtains because it's not a a best of five. (laughs) So it's it's not curtains. Yeah, but they have to reverse sweep. Oh, no, I know, but like you're saying it it actually is curtains. Like, yes, I I did say a similar thing, but I'm just saying it's it's, literally not, but... Uh, okay. Anyways, I have to. It's, pr- it's pretty much over. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, anyway, that's fair. The Colorado Avalanche have played 16 games, so they've won 14 of them, and two of those series, as we mentioned, have been sweeps. Colorado hasn't faced the level of adversity that Tampa Bay has. We've talked about how tough Tampa Bay's journey has been to the Cup. It's not been easy. They've had to get through Toronto, a top 10 team in the league. They've gone through the Rangers, who are roughly in that same echelon. And they went through the team that won the President's Trophy and arguably had a depth level to them that was just as scary as the Avs. Minus the eh, so-so goaltending. Although, at times, Colorado's goaltending has been so-so, but that's beside the point. Tampa Bay's had a tough room, and they've been in different situations, and they've found a way to win games when they've needed, and they've gotten to this point in the playoffs. So, you might look at Tampa Bay's record and say, oh, you know, those those losses, man, they've, they've had some rough outings. Yeah, but they've bounced back. If they take games three and four, for example... Colorado, a team that is 14-2 and two in the East playoffs, that hasn't really faced much adversity. All of a sudden, the pressure's on them in their home building in Game 5 in a tie series. Anything can happen, and Tampa is back in this series. So, there's that. And also, the, there were also chants throughout Game 2 in Denver of, we want the Cup just we're just mocking you we're just putting it out there we're winning the cup and we want it now this series is over john cooper is going to be like to his boys hey this is our wake-up call like let that inspire you let that motivate you let that simmer in the fan base at the other side thinks they've won and they haven't and it starts with winning game three so if Colorado is going to win the Stanley Cup, if they want to make it easy on themselves, they better take game three. Because as the Rangers have shown before, you give Tampa a drop of life, they'll turn around, put you on the mat, and they'll finish you. Yep. So if you're the ass, take game three. 
I will say that if you're like the the Avs, I mean, I didn't mention this before, but the Avs are a much better team than the Rangers are, and that I I mean, no disrespect to the Rangers, uh, but uh, so there is something to to that where it's like, okay, this Avs team is one of the best like teams that we've seen um, in the last couple of years. So um, it's like you know, yes. They should be compared. They shouldn't be cocky and all that stuff. And obviously, the series isn't over. Um, yeah, but, I'm not saying that the abs, yeah. the players are, but it's yeah. the fans. Oh yeah, yeah. Like when the fans are chanting that in your face, and you're just sitting there and taking it, it's like just you wait till game three. Right, right. I mean, yeah, I guess that that, that is true. But like the fans, I last I checked, the fans don't play hockey. Um, aren't playing the the games. So, uh, so I, I mean, but like, yeah, maybe there is like. A sense of like, oh, if the fans say this, then maybe it influences some of the players to take it easy. But at the same time, I think like you know you have guys like Joe Sackick in the on on the team, and you have guys like um, I mean, a lot of these players have been in the league enough. If you think of even like last year or the years before, where like you know the Avalanche have taken a series lead, but they they ended up losing that series. So. I, I think they are aware of, like, do you think Nathan McKinnon thinks this series is over? There is no chance in hell that he thinks this series is yeah. over. So It's, it's yeah. just more motivation for oh, Tampa's yeah. players oh, of course. to wake them up. Oh, yeah, of course. But I, I don't know if it's like, um, like, yeah, just, but, like, I, I'm just saying it's just like, if the, like, just because the fans are saying this, it doesn't mean, like, if it, it would be more concerning if, like, Landeskog, who's the captain or McKinnon goes out and says like, yeah, yeah, this, this is over. We're already planning the parade We're we're just, <laughs> we're just doing whatever. Then yes, that would be concerning. But because it's the fans, um, yeah, I guess there is some influence uh, from like, I think that the fans do have an influence on the games for sure. But I don't know if it's like, you know, I, I, I like, you know, like, you know, Tampa proved it without the fans. Tampa was able to come back even still. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, when when Tampa doesn't have fans, they they still play really, really well. Uh, I do remember um, that they were, after game two, or, uh, like, Cooper, John Cooper was asked um, if he ever gave up on the team or when did he feel that Tampa... Um, or like the team was back after that uh, series win against the Rangers, and he said that um, in the third period, um, in the middle of the third period, where he noticed how Tampa was just like you know starting to play with the puck, and um, and once they started to get going and they started to like get rid of their the rust that they had, uh, they were able to to um, to move and stuff like that, but. Um, I don't know. After um, I, I was hearing, or I, I think I was reading a, a tweet here that um, that John Cooper was saying, like, yeah, pretty much everything sucked <laughs> during this game. So that that is an interesting part where it's like maybe yeah, he is just defeated. But you know, you never know with this Tampa team because we've seen like you know the, you were talking about how Colorado has battled through adversity. So is Tampa. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely not an over series, but um, 
But I guess it, it, it's very, very possible that it could be. Um, I feel I feel like, though, if, if, if I'm the Tampa Bay Lightning, the sense of urgency obviously has to be high. Yeah. But it needs to be high right off the hop. Like, in yeah. Game 3, people will forget they're 20 minutes away from losing Game 3. Right. They need a absolute... Even if it's not a hot start, they need to create opportunities with the puck. They need to touch the puck. They need to pass the puck around. They need quality chances on goal. They need to be engaged right from the hop, and they need to do something in the first period to get a leg up on the avalanche in the first period of game three. Yep. Because as as we've seen in games one and two, Colorado, they got off to a hot start in the first period of game one. They did the same in game two, and they won both games. It's going to be the same thing in Game 3 if Colorado gets off to a hot start. Tampa Bay needs to hold them in check, and they need to get the leg up on the abs in the first period. The first period is going to mean so much the rest of this series. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I, I did see this report that uh, Bednar said that Kadri is flying with the abs to Tampa. Hopefully he'll play in the series, but he's not sure if it will be Game 3 or 4. Uh, still considers him day to day, so that's a thing to to watch out for. I would imagine we'll see Kadri, but maybe in like Game Five if there is one. Um, yeah, and, and you and, and if he gets back in this series, you don't think he's gonna be the most motivated guy yeah. on the entire oh, yeah, yeah. roster? Yeah, like a guy that has gone through so much playoff failure and not being there when it mattered, all yeah. this rhetoric, and having a career season. He wants to play a meaningful role on yeah. this roster more than anybody, and he is going to be hyped up on adrenaline the second that is the That is actually the craziest thing, is that the Avs beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 7 to nothing, and they don't even have, like, their, the, arguably their third best player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of nuts. Um all right, uh, so that about does it, unless you have more to say on this series. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen, Brad? Would you change your prediction uh, in any way? Um, no, I think you are right that I think Tampa will come back. But, um, no, I, I had Colorado in seven, so, I yeah, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with um, – I'm going to stick with Tampa in seven. I don't think they're out of it. But again, uh, as we both agree, it all hinges on Game Three. Yeah. Even even if even if Tampa is down three to one, heading into Colorado, if they win Game Three, I feel like they have at least a little bit of momentum because they're only down two games and they can muster a couple of wins and tie the series, and then Game Seven anything happens. Yeah. They can't go down three zero. Right. Yeah. Of course. Um. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, they. I mean, I guess they could lose Game Three and then go win Game Four. But yeah, it's it's not doesn't look great. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting too, just because like this is the most anticipated series of the last like decade or so. Um, yeah. And um, it would be just crazy if like this this ends up being a four games sweep or a or a five game series because that's like of course that's gonna happen. So. And at the same time, you know, if you're a Colorado Avalanche fan, it cements how good your team is. If you can go in there against a Tampa Bay Lightning team that has once 11 straight series, been to three straight finals, and just blow them out of the water in a four-game sweep and make them look vulnerable, it 
like people aren't going to question uh, the ride that you've been on and whether or not uh, you deserve to be there. Yeah. You, you definitely deserve to be there and you deserve to win if you can handle Tampa as mightily as they've done the first two games. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, that about does it for us here on uh, Lace Em Up. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, and you can follow us and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellswick. We'll talk again in episode 326 of the Lace Em Up Podcast.